0: Section Ten of The Wood Beyond the World. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, and to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Corrie Samuel. The Wood Beyond the World by William Morris. CHAPTER Twenty Eight OF THE NEW GOD OF THE BEARS. At last the old man said, My children, ye shall now come with me Unto the doom-ring of our folk, the bears of the southern dales, And deliver to them your errand, And I beseech you to have pity Upon your own bodies, as I have pity on them, On thine especially maiden, So fair and bright a creature as thou art. For so it is, that if ye Deal us out light and lying words, after the manner of dastards, ye shall miss the worship and glory of wending away amidst of the flames, a gift to the God, and a hope to the people, and shall be passed by the rods of the folk, until ye faint and fail amongst them, and then shall ye be thrust down into the flow at the dale's end, and a stone-laden hurdle cast upon you, that we may thenceforth forget your folly. The maid now looked full into his eyes, and Walter deemed that the old man shrank before her, but she said, Thou art old and wise, O great man of the bears, yet nought I need to learn of thee. Now lead us on our way to the stead of the errands. So the elder brought them along to the doom-ring at the eastern end of the dale, and it was now all peopled with those huge men, weaponed after their fashion, and standing up, so that the grey stones thereof but showed a little over their heads. But amidmost of the said ring was a big stone fashioned as a chair, whereon sat a very old man, long hoary and white-bearded, and on either side of him stood a great-limbed woman, clad in war-gear, holding each of them a long spear, and with a flint-bladed knife in the girdle, and there were no other women in all the moat. Then the elder led those twain Into the midst of the moat, And there bade them go up Onto a wide flat-topped stone Six feet above the ground, Just over against the ancient chieftain. And they mounted it by a rough stair And stood there before that folk, Walter in his array of the outward world, Which had been fair enough, Of crimson cloth and silk and white linen, But was now travel-stained and worn. And the maid with naught upon her save the smock wherein she had fled from the golden house of the wood beyond the world, decked with the faded flowers which she had wreathed about her yesterday. Nevertheless, so it was that those big men eyed her intently, and with somewhat of worship. Now did Walter, according to her bidding, sink down on his knees beside her, and drawing his sword, hold it before him as if to keep all interlopers aloof from the maid. And there was silence in the moat, and all eyes were fixed on those twain. At last the old chief arose and spake, Ye men, here are come a man and a woman we know not whence, whereas they have given word to our folk who first met them, that they would tell their errand to none save the moat of the people which it was their due to do, if they were minded to risk it. For either they be aliens, without an errand hither, save it may be to beguile us, in which case they shall presently die an evil death, or they have come amongst us that we may give them to the god with flint edge and fire, or they have a message to us from some folk or other, on the issue of which lieth life or death, Now shall ye hear what they have to say, Concerning themselves, and their faring hither. But meseemeth, it shall be the woman who is the chief, And hath the word in her mouth, For lo you, the man kneeleth at her feet, As one who would serve and worship her. Speak out then, woman, and let our warriors hear thee. Then the maid lifted up her voice, And spake out, clear and shrilling, like to a flute of the best of the minstrels. Ye men of the children of the bear, I would ask you a question, and let the chieftain who sitteth before me answer it." The old man nodded his head, and she went on. "'Tell me, children of the bear, how long a time is worn since ye saw the god of your worship made manifest in the body of a woman?' said the elder. Many winters have worn since my father's father was a child, And saw the very God in the bodily form of a woman. Then she said again, Did you rejoice at her coming, And would ye rejoice if once more she came amongst you? Yea, said the old chieftain, For she gave us gifts, and learned us law, And came to us in no terrible shape, But as a young woman as goodly as thou. Then said the maid, now, then, is the day of your gladness come, for the old body is dead, and I am the new body of your God, come amongst you for your welfare." Then fell a great silence on the moat, till the old man spake, and said, "'What shall I say, and live? for if thou be verily the God, and I threaten thee, wilt thou not destroy me? But thou hast spoken a great word with a sweet mouth, And has taken the burden of blood on thy lily hands. And if the children of the bear be befooled of light liars, How shall they put the shame off them? Therefore I say, show to us a token, And if thou be the God, this shall be easy to thee, And if thou show it not, then is thy falsehood manifest, And thou shalt dre the weird. For we shall deliver thee into the hands of these women here, Who shall thrust thee down into the flow which is hereby. "'after they have wearied themselves with whipping thee. "'But thy man that kneeleth at thy feet "'shall we give to the true God, "'and he shall go to her by the road of the flint and the fire. "'Hast thou heard? "'Then give to us the sign and the token.' "'She changed countenance no whit at his word, "'but her eyes were the brighter, "'and her cheek the fresher, "'and her feet moved a little, "'as if they were growing glad before the dance.' And she looked out over the moat, and spake in her clear voice, Old man, thou needest not to fear for thy words. Forsooth it is not me whom thou threatenest with stripes and a foul death, But some light fool and liar, who is not here. Now hearken. I wot well that ye would have somewhat of me, To wit, that I should send you rain to end this drought, Which otherwise seemeth like to lie long upon you. But this rain, I must go into the mountains of the south to fetch it you. Therefore shall certain of your warriors bring me on my way, with this, my man, up to the great pass of the said mountains, and we shall set thitherward this very day." She was silent a while, and all looked on her, but none spake or moved, so that they seemed as images of stone amongst the stones then she spake again and said some would say men of the bear that this were a sign and a token great enough but i know you and how stubborn and perverse of heart ye be and how that the gift not yet within your hand is no gift to you and the wonder ye see not your hearts trow not therefore look ye upon me as here i stand i who have come from the fairer country and the greenwood of the lands and see if I bear not the summer with me, and the heart that maketh increase, and the hand that giveth." Lo, then, as she spake, the faded flowers that hung about her, gathered life, and grew fresh again. The woodbine round her neck, and her sleek shoulders, knit itself together, and embraced her freshly, and cast its scent about her face. The lilies that girded her loins, lifted up their heads, and the gold of their tassels fell upon her. The eyebright grew clean blue again upon her smock. The eglantine found its blooms again, and then began to shed the leaves thereof upon her feet. The meadow-sweet wreathed amongst it, made clear the sweetness of her legs, and the mouse-ear studded her raiment as with gems. There she stood, amidst of the blossoms, like a great orient-pearl against the fretwork of the goldsmiths. And the breeze that came up the valley from behind Bore the sweetness of her fragrance All over the man-mote. Then, indeed, the bears stood up, And shouted, and cried, And smote on their shields, And tossed their spears aloft. Then the elder rose from his seat, And came up humbly to where she stood, And prayed her to say what she would have done, While the others drew about in knots, But durst not come very nigh to her, she answered the ancient chief, and said that she would depart presently toward the mountains, whereby she might send them the rain which they lacked, and that thence she would away to the southward for a while, but that they should hear of her, or it might be, see her, before they who were now of middle age should be gone to their fathers. Then the old man besought her that they might make her a litter of fragrant green boughs, and so bear her away toward the mountain pass amidst a triumph of the whole folk. But she leapt lightly down from the stone, and walked to and fro on the greensward, while it seemed of her that her feet scarce touched the grass, and she spake to the ancient chief, where he still kneeled in worship of her, and said, Nay, deemest thou of me that I need bearing by men's hands, or that I shall tire at all when I am doing my will? "'and I, the very heart of the year's increase. "'So it is that the going of my feet over your pastures "'shall make them to thrive both this year and the coming years. "'Surely will I go afoot.' "'So they worshipped her the more, and blessed her. "'And then first of all they brought meat, the daintiest they might, "'for both her and for Walter. "'But they would not look on the maid while she ate.' or suffer walter to behold her the while afterwards when they had eaten some twenty men weaponed after their fashion made them ready to wend with the maiden up into the mountains and anon they set out thitherward all together howbeit the huge men held them ever somewhat aloof from the maid and when they came to the resting place for that night where was no house for it was up amongst the foothills before the mountains then it was a wonder to see how carefully they built up a sleeping-place for her, and tilted it over with their skin-cloaks, and how they watched night-long about her. But Walter they let sleep peacefully on the grass, a little way aloof from the watchers round the maid. Chapter 29 Walter strays in the pass and is sundered from the maid. morning came, and they arose and went on their ways, and went all day till the sun was nigh set, and they were come up into the very pass, and in the jaws thereof was an earthen how. There the maid bade them stay, and she went up on to the how, and stood there and spake to them, and said, O men of the bear, I give you thanks for your following, and I bless you, and promise you the increase of the earth but now ye shall turn aback, and leave me to go my ways, and my man with the iron sword shall follow me. Now, maybe, I shall come amongst the bare folk again before long, and yet again, and learn them wisdom, but for this time it is enough. And I shall tell you that ye were best to hasten home straightway to your houses in the downland dales. For the weather which I have bidden for you Is even now coming forth from the forge of storms In the heart of the mountains. Now this last word I give you, That times are changed since I wore the last shape of God That ye have seen, wherefore a change I command you. If so be aliens come amongst you, I will not that ye send them to me by the flint and the fire, Rather, unless they be baleful unto you And worthy of an evil death, ye shall suffer them to abide with you ye shall make them become children of the bears if they be goodly enough and worthy and they shall be my children as ye be otherwise if they be ill-favoured and weakling let them live and be thralls to you but not joined with you man to woman now depart ye with my blessing therewith she came down from the mound and went her ways up the pass so lightly that it was to Walter, standing amongst the bears, as if she had vanished away. But the men of that folk abode standing and worshipping their god for a little while, and that while he durst not sunder him from their company. But when they had blessed him, and gone on their way backward, he betook him in haste to following the maid, thinking to find her abiding him in some nook of the pass. Howsoever. It was now twilight or more, and, for all his haste, dark night overtook him, so that perforce he was stayed amidst the tangle of the mountain ways. And moreover, ere the night was grown old, the weather came upon him on the back of a great south wind, so that the mountain nooks rattled and roared, and there was the rain and the hail, with thunder and lightning, monstrous and terrible, and all the huge array of a summer storm. So he was driven at last to crouch under a big rock and abide the day; but not so were his troubles at an end, for under the said rock he fell asleep, and when he awoke it was day indeed, but as to the pass, the way thereby was blind with the driving rain and the lowering lift, so that though he struggled as well as he might against the storm and the tangle, he made but little way; and now, once more the thought came on him that the maid was of the fays or of some race even mightier and it came on him now not as erst with half fear and whole desire but with a bitter oppression of dread of loss and misery so that he began to fear that she had but won his love to leave him and forget him for a newcomer after the want of fay women as old tales tell two days he battled thus with storm and blindness, and one hope of his life, for he was growing weak and foredone. But the third morning the storm abated, though the rain yet fell heavily, and he could see his way somewhat, as well as feel it. Withal he found that now his path was leading him downwards. As it grew dusk, he came down into a grassy valley, with a stream running through it to the southward, and the rain was now but little coming down but in dashes from time to time. So he crept down to the stream-side, and lay amongst the bushes there, and said to himself that on the morrow he would get him victual, so that he might live to seek his maiden through the wide world. He was of somewhat better heart, but now that he was laid quiet, and had no more for that present to trouble him about the way, the anguish of his loss fell upon him the keener, and he might not refrain him from lamenting his dear maiden aloud, as one who deemed himself in the empty wilderness, and thus he lamented for her sweetness, and her loveliness, and the kindness of her voice, and her speech, and her mirth. Then he fell to crying out, concerning the beauty of her shaping, praising the parts of her body, as her face, and her hands, and her shoulders, and her feet, and cursing the evil fate, which had sundered him from the friendliness of her, and the peerless fashion of her. Chapter 30 Now They Meet Again Complaining thus wise, he fell asleep from sheer weariness, and when he awoke it was broad day, calm and bright and cloudless, with the scent of the earth refreshed going up into the heavens, and the birds singing sweetly in the bushes about him, for the dale whereunto he was now come was a fair and lovely place amidst the shelving slopes of the mountains, a paradise of the wilderness, and naught but pleasant and sweet things were to be seen there now that the morn was so clear and sunny. He arose and looked about him, and saw where a hundred yards aloof was a thicket of small wood as thorn and elder and whitebeam, all wreathed about with the binds of wayfaring-tree. It hid a bight of the stream, which turned round about it, and betwixt it and Walter was the grass short and thick and sweet, and all beset with flowers. And he said to himself that it was even such a place as wherein the angels were leading the blessed in the great painted paradise in the choir of the big church at Langton-on-Holm. But lo! as he looked he cried aloud for joy, for forth from the thicket, on to the flowery grass, came one like to an angel from out of the said picture, white-clad and barefoot, sweet of flesh, with bright eyes and ruddy cheeks, for it was the maid herself. So he ran to her, and she abode him, holding forth kind hands to him, and smiling, while she wept for joy of the meeting he threw himself upon her and spared not to kiss her her cheeks and her mouth and her arms and her shoulders and wheresoever she would suffer it till at last she drew aback a little laughing on him for love and said forbear now friend for it is enough for this time and tell me how thou hast sped ill ill said he what ails thee she said hunger he said and longing for thee well she said me thou hast there is one ill quenched take my hand and we will see to the other one so he took her hand and to hold it seemed to him sweet beyond measure but he looked up and saw a little blue smoke going up into the air from beyond the thicket and he laughed for he was weak with hunger and he said, Who is at the cooking yonder? Thou shalt see, she said, and led him therewith into the said thicket, and through it, and lo, a fair little grassy place, full of flowers, betwixt the bushes and the bight of the stream, and on the sandy air, just off the greensward, was a fire of sticks, and beside it two trouts, lying, fat, and red-flecked here is the breakfast said she when it was time to wash the night off me e'en now i went down to the strand here into the rippling shallow and saw the bank below it where the water draws together yonder and deepens that it seemed like to hold fish and whereas i looked to meet thee presently i groped the bank for them going softly and lo thou help me now that we cook them so they roasted them on the red embers and fell to and ate well, both of them, and drank of the water of the stream out of each other's hollow hands, and that feast seemed glorious to them, such gladness went with it. But when they were done with their meat, Walter said to the maid, And how didst thou know that thou shouldst see me presently? She said, looking on him wistfully, this needed no wizardry. I lay not so far from thee last night, but that I heard thy voice, and knew it. Said he, Why didst thou not come to me then, since thou heardest me bemoaning thee? She cast her eyes down, and plucked at the flowers and grass, and said, It was dear to hear thee praising me. I knew not before that I was so sore desired or that thou hadst taken such note of my body, and found it so dear." Then she reddened sorely, and said, "'I knew not that aught of me had such beauty as thou didst bewail.' And she wept for joy. Then she looked on him, and smiled, and said, "'Wilt thou have the very truth of it? I went close up to thee, and stood there hidden by the bushes and the night, and amidst thy bewailing." I knew that thou wouldst soon fall asleep, and in sooth I outwaked thee." Then was she silent again, and he spake not, but looked on her shyly, and she said, reddening yet more, "'Furthermore, I must needs tell thee that I feared to go to thee in the dark night, and my heart so yearning towards thee.' And she hung her head adown, but he said, is it so indeed, that thou fearest me? Then doth that make me afraid, afraid of thy nay-say? For I was going to entreat thee, and say to thee, Beloved, we have now gone through many troubles; let us now take a good reward at once, and wed together, here amidst this sweet and pleasant house of the mountains, ere we go further on our way, if indeed we go further at all; for where shall we find any place sweeter or happier than this? But she sprang up to her feet, and stood there trembling before him, because of her love, and she said, Beloved, I have deemed that it were good for us to go seek mankind as they live in the world, and to live amongst them; and as for me, I will tell thee the sooth, to wit, that I long for this sorely, for I feel afraid in the wilderness, and as if I needed help and protection against my mistress, though she be dead; and I need the comfort of many people and the throngs of the cities. I cannot forget her. It was but last night that I dreamed—I suppose as the dawn grew a cold—that I was yet under her hand, and she was stripping me for the torment, so that I woke up panting and crying out. I pray thee, be not angry with me for telling thee of my desires, for if thou wouldst not have it so, then here will I abide with thee as thy mate, and strive to gather courage. He rose up, and kissed her face, and said, Nay, I had in sooth no mind to abide here for ever. I meant but that we should feast a while here, and then depart. Sooth it is, that if thou dreadest the wilderness, somewhat I dread the city. She turned pale, and said, Thou shalt have thy will, my friend, if it must be so. But bethink thee we be not yet at our journey's end, and may have many things and much strife to endure before we be at peace and in welfare now shall i tell thee did i not before that while i am a maid untouched my wisdom and some deal of might abideth with me and only so long therefore i entreat thee let us go now side by side out of this fair valley even as we are so that my wisdom and might may help thee at need. For, my friend, I would not that our lives be short, so much of joy as hath now come into them. Yea, beloved, he said, let us on straightway then, and shorten the while that sundereth us. Love, she said, thou shalt pardon me one time for all. But this is to be said, that I know somewhat of the haps that lie a little way ahead of us partly by my law, and partly by what I learned of this land of the wild folk, whilst thou wert lying asleep that morning. So they left that pleasant place by the water, and came into the open valley, and went their ways through the pass, and it soon became stony again, as they mounted the bent which went up from out the dale. And when they came to the brow of the said bent, they had a sight of the open country, lying fair and joyous in the sunshine, and amidst of it, against the blue hills, the walls and towers of a great city. Then said the maid, O dear friend, lo you! is not that our abode that lieth yonder, and is so beauteous? dwell not our friends there, and our protection against uncouth whites, and mere evil things in guileful shapes. O city! I bid thee hail." But Walter looked on her, and smiled somewhat, and said, "'I rejoice in thy joy. But there be evil things in yonder city also, though they be not fays nor devils, or it is like to no city that I wot of. And in every city shall foes grow up to us without rhyme or reason, and life therein shall be tangled unto us.' "'Yea,' she said, BUT IN THE WILDERNESS AMONGST THE DEVILS, WHAT WAS TO BE DONE BY MANLY MIGHT OR VALIANCY? THERE HADST THOU TO FALL BACK UPON THE GUILE AND wizardry WHICH I HAD FILCHED FOR MY VERY FOES. BUT WHEN WE COME DOWN YONDER, THEN SHALL THY VALIANCY PREVAIL TO CLEAVE THE TANGLE FOR US. OR AT THE LEAST IT SHALL LEAVE A TALE OF THEE BEHIND, AND I SHALL WORSHIP THEE. HE LAUGHED, AND HIS FACE GREW BRIGHTER. "Mastery mows the meadow," quoth he, "and one man is of little might against many; but I promise thee I shall not be slothful before thee!" Section ten.